turn in your Bibles with me. If you have one of the Florida Coast Church Bibles in the back, um, it is on page 913. 913. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, and then uh, through the end of the chapter. So let's read this together. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we come together this morning uh, seeking more of you, less of us, and we ask that in this time you would allow us to hear the truth of your word in fresh ways, that your spirit would be active in our hearts and compel us to leave here different um, in the ways that you will lead us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. My first date with Rebecca, my wife, um, was a unique one. We, it, it turns out we were both doing a study abroad trip over in England, and I had somehow convinced her to go travel with me to London for a day on a date. I thought it was a date. I'm not sure what she thought, but to me, I was winning. And we had all these things planned, and we ended up running through the streets of London um, because we had tickets to go see Les Mis. And I had never seen Les Mis before. Um, but we ended up getting there, and I'm, I'm soaking wet because I'm sweating. I'm nervous, so I'm sweating. <clears throat> I'm with a girl that I like, so I'm sweating. And it took me a little while to realize the plot of Les Mis. And I think it connects somewhat uniquely to the passage that we read this morning. If, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, the, the story of Les Mis opens with one of the key characters, his name is Jean Valjean, and Jean Valjean has been a prisoner for 19 years 
for stealing a loaf of bread. That's a long time to be in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. He's finally freed. He's finally able to be let go, and he seeks shelter in the home of a bishop. He's the only one that will take care of him because no one's going to hire an ex-con to work for him. But Valjean ends up stealing again. He steals some of the bishop's silver, expensive silver. The police come, and they arrest Valjean. And here he is about to go to prison again. And if he was in for 19 years for a loaf of bread, he's thinking, I'm really in for it now. But something happens here. The bishop stands in between Valjean and the police and says, no, 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 you have it all wrong. I gave him this silver. He hadn't. But he says to the police, I gave him the silver. In fact, take with you two of these silver candlesticks as you go, as a gift, as a further gift from me. Valjean is guilty. He's rightly accused and in debt beyond what he can repay. But the bishop has mercy and lets Valjean go. He tells him that God has spared his life and that he should live honestly and use the money from the silver wisely. The story of mercy and response is compelling and it's striking. And we see the same passage, same message in this passage. Here the context, of course, is Peter has been asking Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And, you know, that, that seems reasonable, but actually, and, and from Peter's point of view, given the fact that it, the, the rabbinic view of the day is that you only needed to forgive someone three times, Peter added four more and figures, I'm, I'm doing a great job. I can forgive someone seven times. He thinks he's being generous. But Jesus' view of forgiveness goes well beyond the petty counting of the number of times that we forgive someone. Jesus' response is, Peter, it's 77 times, or as some translations have it, seven times 70 times, 490 times. Who's going to keep count of 490 times of forgiveness? I can think of two little boys in my house that might keep count towards the number of times they forgive one another but I couldn't. And it's at this point that Jesus tells the story of the unforgiving servant. And the audience here is kingdom members. He's talking to fellow members of the kingdom of God, perhaps much like I am today, I assume so. And the overarching point of the parable is this. So if you forget everything else, you can remember this. Because of God's infinite forgiveness towards us, we must forgive others. Because of God's infinite forgiveness towards us, we must forgive others. We see this in three ways over the course of these verses. First, we see that God's forgiveness restores us. Second, we see that God's forgiveness compels us. And finally, we'll see that God's forgiveness convicts us. It restores us, it compels us, and it convicts us. So let's look At verses 23 through 27 here, and we see here that God's forgiveness restores us. Jesus introduces the kingdom of heaven as like a king who wanted to settle up with his servants, and one of his servants owed 10,000 talents. I don't know about you. I have no idea what a talent was worth, so I had to look it up, but it's a significant amount of money. Think about if you owned one of those black Amex cards. 
with no limit, and all you did was charge everything to that account, then all of a sudden that account is due, and you have spent a lot of money. This is the situation of the servant. He owes a tremendous amount of money. And unsurprisingly, the servant is unable to pay. So what does the king do? The king orders his family and all his belongings to be sold. We see that in verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made which is an interesting thing. So how do you make the payment if indeed you've been sold off? It's a difficult thing to do. And so the servant does something. He makes a promise he knows he can't keep. He says, give me more time and I'll pay it back. Just, just be patient. Now, that's kind of an absurd and foolish thing to say. There's absolutely no way in the world that this servant could ever repay that debt. The burden of this debt is crushing. But it feels like he can still sort things out himself. And the king responds with tremendous mercy. What does he do? He forgives the debt altogether and lets him go. The servant didn't do anything to deserve this. This is the message of the gospel, isn't it? It's the story of the gospel. We all have a huge debt of sin that we are unable to repay, that we are unable to make good before God with. But as with the king here, God bestows his boundless mercy in forgiving us what we owe. And the implicit expectation here is that this servant would go on and do the same to others. But as we see, that doesn't end up happening. So we move on to verses 28 through 31, where we see that God's forgiveness compels us. Going back to the story of Les Mis, the other main character, the antagonist in the story, is a guy by the name of Javert. Javert is a detective, and he is legalistic. Javert has in his sights that he is going to take Jean Valjean, that prisoner, he spent his whole life following Valjean, waiting for him to trip up so he can throw him back into prison. For decades, Javert has been chasing Valjean, nearly catching him many times. He wants justice at all costs. And we see a similar disposition when it comes to the servant that has just been forgiven a tremendous debt. Now it's his turn to reconcile some of the debts of other people who owe him something. One of his fellow servants owed him 100 denarii. Maybe you know what that is. I didn't. It's, that's why I looked it up. It's a very small amount by comparison. And in fact, some scholars in doing the math and figuring out, you know, how ancient economies worked once uh, made the ratio of 600,000 to one. If you wanted to get from what the, that first servant owed to what the second servant owed, that's a 600,000 to one difference. That's one penny for every $6,000. Still, it's a debt, but nowhere near the original debt that's owed. And here we go again. The second servant can't repay it. He can't repay his debt. And so what does the first servant do? The one that has just been forgiven all of that debt. We see this in verse 28. But when he, the same servant went out 
He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Not exactly the response one would have expected. On the one hand, he's entirely free to demand repayment. Someone owes him something. But on the other hand, what makes this response so reprehensible and so absurd is the fact that he is forgetting the forgiveness that he has received. This is punctuated by the fact that if you look at verses 26 and 29, the appeals for mercy are the same. In 26, it says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That's the first servant that owes so much money. And of course, he receives mercy. Here we see in 29, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But his sense of personal justice completely runs over any impulse to show mercy. Raises an important question. How can he be forgiven so much and then fail to forgive so little? The servant fails to see that the Lord's forgiveness compels us to forgive others. The, the servant's heart and disposition is one of unrepentance despite the mercy shown to him. He is intransigent. He is legalistic. He is much like Javert, who is chasing Jean Valjean. Receiving forgiveness should change our behavior. But in this case, the second, that servant misunderstands what mercy and forgiveness require. God's mercy compels us to respond with mercy and forgiveness towards others. But not only that, to our third point, God's forgiveness convicts us, verses 32 through 35. Towards the end of Les Mis, Jean Valjean, who is the you know, former convict, and Javert cross paths a number of times. And you know, remember, Javert is chasing Jean Valjean and actually ends in a situation where there's finally some custody, only it's not what you would think. It's not Javert finally having caught Jean Valjean, but Jean Valjean, the ex-con, has Javert. And so the question is, what do you do? What do you do with the one who's been hunting you? What do you do with the one who wants to demand justice from you? And so Valjean lets him go. A little while later, we see the same scenario, but flipped upside down. Now, Javert finally has his man. This guy, this convict, this thief that he has been chasing for decades, he finally has him. But Jean Valjean has just shown him tremendous mercy because the expectation was that Valjean would have killed him. Javert ends up being tormented between two things, his fidelity to the law on the one side, and the mercy that he's been shown on the other. And eventually, he lets Valjean go. Forgiveness isn't easy. Hear me say this. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it's required. Why? Because we have been forgiven. The truth is that we've all been hurt. And sometimes we've been hurt so badly that it will forever change the course of our life. There can be wounds that are so deep and so painful that we are different as a result of having experienced them. Our grievances 
may be so great that it seems warranted to carry a grudge. We shouldn't diminish how difficult it can be to forgive. But we also can't ignore the imperative to forgive. Why? Because God, our King, has forgiven us so much more. So in our struggle or reluctance to forgive, God's mercy convicts us. It's easy to forget that the accumulation of all of our sin amounts to a debt that we could never repay. And this is where God's mercy forces the uncomfortable question, putting us in the position of the first servant. How in the world can we withhold forgiveness when we have been forgiven so much? This is precisely the king's question in verse 33. We see this here. So now the king is back talking to that first servant after that he has not forgiven his fellow servant. And he says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Many translations offer softer language here using shouldn't language. In the Greek, it's much more forceful. The Greek says, isn't it necessary that you forgive others in the same way that I have forgiven you? Receiving mercy and forgiveness not only restores and compels us, it also convicts us to respond in kind. And failure to do so leads to judgment. We see this in the last two verses here. In anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now some, some uh, translations, some passages based on um, you know, ancient documents of the text, we see included in one of these verses that um, he sent him over to the jailers to be tortured. It's in some translations, it's not. The point here is, is that the king is saying, if you're not going to forgive others the way that I have forgiven you, there are severe consequences. This is a difficult statement and one that invites many questions. The language here is shocking and somewhat concerning, but we don't need to assume an underlying reality here where God has jailers and torturers ready for us if we fail to forgive others. God doesn't have torturers in that sense. The point is to emphasize how seriously God takes unforgiveness. There's actually a cycle of forgiveness that we see here that begins with God's forgiveness of our immense debt, and then we are called to carry that on to others, forgiving one another. Jesus is telling a story, a shocking story, to others who are going to hear this truth. And the point is this. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. And the failure to do so breaks that cycle of forgiveness. We actually see this throughout the whole gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 5, 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And the Lord's Prayer that we just read, it says this, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Just two verses later, Matthew six fourteen through 15, it says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, 
Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. We see a major principle here in this parable. Receiving God's mercy and forgiveness goes hand in hand with giving it. So in conclusion, the story of Les Mis and Jean Valjean and Javert don't quite capture the depth of the intensity of what Jesus is talking about here. So I'm going to close with a slightly different story. In 1943, at the height of World War II, a man by the name of Simon Wiesenthal is a Jew, and he is pulled from a concentration camp, and he gets summoned into a hospital, and he's put next to a dying German soldier in bed, and the soldier says, I need to talk to a Jew. I need to ask for forgiveness for my actions. See, he had confessed now to Simon Wiesenthal. I I killed 300 or more Jews. I I set fire to a building with Jews inside and then waited outside so that when they came out, I would shoot them. And I am sorry. And I'm asking you for your forgiveness. Simon Wiesenthal is faced with two very difficult questions. Can such atrocities ever be forgiven? And can he give forgiveness on behalf of an entire people? Simon Wiesenthal decided to walk away and say nothing, and the Nazi soldier died the next day. I don't know about you, but sometimes I will lay awake at night and think about all the things that I've done wrong. Sometimes it'll just hit me, and there will be this montage of decisions that I've made, words that I have said, horrible actions that I can never take back. And my conclusion tends to be I'm a pretty rotten guy. The accumulation of all my sin is is too much to forgive. My sin puts me in a similar boat as that Nazi soldier. But the same questions apply to me as they did to Simon Wiesenthal or could be asked, can my atrocious actions ever be forgiven? And is there one person who can forgive all I've done against his people? Here is where scripture reminds us of the story of another Jew who doesn't walk away from this request. Jesus, the son of God, the Jewish carpenter, the savior, has borne the punishment that we deserve that we deserve, and he's forgiven us so, so much. You see, forgiveness isn't just about shrugging off minor offenses. It's not just about saying okay and moving on. It's not merely overlooking hurtful words or actions. Forgiveness doesn't just wipe away the payment due. It actually transfers the debt that's owed onto someone else. And in doing so, it makes us free. In this case, Jesus not only forgives, he has absorbed all of that sin, all of the debt that we owe onto himself, which raises questions for us. Have you experienced this freedom in Christ? Have you believed in his reply on the cross as he's bearing our guilt and our shame and every single thing that we have ever done, that the world has ever done, 
and sin against God. Of course I forgive you and I love you. Have you believed in that reply? If not, Jesus stands before you ready today to forgive and to set you free. And if we have believed, if we have believed that, have we experienced Christ's forgiveness in ways that have changed us? Matthew 10.8 says, Freely you have received, freely give. We don't earn Christ's forgiveness. We could never do that. This forgiveness is a wonderful thing to receive, but it can be a very hard thing to give. And yet God's forgiveness transforms us, molds us more and more into the likeness of Christ in whom we have forgiveness. As such, we are called to be merciful and forgiving to others. This is who we are as a church, a church, a community of believers who are believers in the faith in Jesus Christ, who confess our sins and experience the forgiveness of God together, who forgive one another. And in forgiving others and in showing mercy, we are doing precisely what Christ has called us to. Let's pray together. Lord, we begin by thanking you for the forgiveness that you give us. That no matter how much of a debt that we owe, no matter how great our sin, no matter how guilty and shameful we feel, it's not hidden from you. And you invite us to lay that before you so that you may wash us clean. That you invite us to give that to you. And in return, in carrying our sin on you, you have given us freedom to live. And freedom to forgive others as a demonstration of the forgiveness that we have in you. And pray, Father, that as we think about this passage, as we remember Christ's words, that we would be eager to forgive, even when it's hard, even when everything in us pushes against that idea. May we remember and rest in, be compelled by, and remember the fact that the only reason we are able to forgive is because of the forgiveness you have given us that flows through us. Forgiven people forgive people. May we be that, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.